Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah 2, as we prepare our hearts for this celebration of Christmas, Christ's birth this year. Please also remember these two weeks we are uh, giving attention to one of our mission partners locally, that's Act of Grace, who uh, ministers and reaches to the homeless uh, in our county and even beyond our county. And uh, Act of Grace is a great ministry. Uh, many of you are already acquainted, but in the Hub, if you'd like more information on how to volunteer, or what their needs are, uh, please stop by the Hub. There's also flyers at our welcome centers that you can pick up to learn about as well. In the late 60s and early 70s, there was a Stanford professor who did a study about delayed gratification. He pulled other psychologists together and uh, they began what became known as the marshmallow test. Uh, affectionately, of course, uh, each of the psychologists would take a four-year-old and go in a room with them and put on a table in front of the four-year-old a marshmallow. And he would say, now I have to go run an errand. I'll be back in 10 or 15 minutes. Now, while I'm gone, you can eat this marshmallow. But if you would wait until I'm back, you'll get two marshmallows. And then they'd leave the room. Well, you can imagine what they were suffering through. This struggle between gratification and delay. They had all kinds of ways of distracting themselves. Sort of some of the four-year-olds ate it as soon as the guy walked out of the, door, out of the room. Others would distract themselves by singing or shutting their eyes tightly, or looking all around the room, any place except at that marshmallow. Others would pick it up and smell it and, and, and look at it closely, but not eat it, and maybe some eventually succumbed and would eat it. One even was imaginative, maybe thinking it worked by osmosis as he licked the table all around the marshmallow. <laughs> you know, uh, in life, there's this angst that we all go through at times when we are waiting, when we have to wait for something to happen. And we can cry out to God, as many have in the pages of Scripture and even at times in your life and mine, oh Lord, how long, how long, how long before this relationship is restored? How long before my body is healed? How long before the, fi the financial crunch is over? How long before I get a job? How long before I get an answer to my prayer? How long before this sin habit is broken? Before my hurt is healed? Before our world finally learns some things about how to live in peace? We see it all the time in the papers. We experience it as well. And 700 years before Christ, there was a remnant of God's people in the nation Israel that knew a deeper kind of angst. They looked at their nation. The nation was in shambles. God continued to send prophets to them throughout the centuries to awaken them to their foolishness. God's people in Isaiah's day primarily had become ungrateful. They were incorrigible. Their leaders were hypocritical. And they basically had snubbed God. They were guilty people. But there was a remnant of Israelites always, always a remnant that longed for God's promise to become a reality. 
They prayed, they looked forward to the day when God's Messiah would make his entrance into the world. That promise that he, he just hinted at, clear back at the creation account in Genesis 3.15. So the text that you heard read this morning out of Isaiah chapter 2 is, is a longing. And it speaks of a time of the church age when this announcement would go out from Jerusalem. And it would be an announcement of the Lord and his plan. There are a lot of differences of opinion about Isaiah 2. Some would say there's a millennial reign of Christ where he's going to reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. That's not how I view eschatology, that is the end times. But whatever one's belief is, we do know this, where God's government prevails in the world, uh, peace persists. It just does. That's what God's government brings. And that's his peace plan for the nations. Jesus Christ to be welcomed as Lord of all. And until there's perfection in this world, we, we, and, if, and if there's going to be perfection, perfection and peace in this world, it begins even personally with us. So three things this text tells us. First of all, walk in him. He said, let us walk in the light of the world. Now, for peace to take place, this is an imperative. We have to walk in the light of the world. What does it mean? Well, it means two things, at least. It means to acknowledge his presence. Now, to do so requires thought. Our days are crammed full of all kinds of things. We have all kinds of demands in our lives. Even you who are retired will say, I don't know how I got life accomplished while I was working. Your lives are full of all kinds of things. And it's easy to set him aside in the midst of the demand of the hour. But through the mundane as well as significant aspects of the day, the sooner we acknowledge him, even in the course of a day as well as in the course of our lives, the more ready we are and doing his will, and, and being able to live in peace. Um, now, we may not always understand peace at the beginning of our day. Sometimes when you awaken at the beginning of the day, you could, your thoughts can become like a tidal wave that are moving over you, worrying about a child or a grandchild, about a meeting you have to have with someone, about a person you have to confront. Financial matters can haunt you, or a marriage is unfulfilled. But he came that we might be able to live. Uh, and to live is a great privilege, isn't it? To have life every day, to awaken to something. I have visited so many people in the hospital who are struggling through pain and terrible weakness. They can't keep their eyes open. And, uh, you know, yet I have seen in so many of them, even this week, a spirit to live and to know and know this peace in the midst of the process. I was, as I was raking my leaves for the umpteenth time this week, I was listening to a podcast and Carol Burnett was being interviewed. And she tells about the death of her daughter, uh, Carrie, that happened a number of years ago. Some of you remember that. And she, Carol says she's met a nurse in the hospital who said, why is it your daughter is always smiling? And so Carol went into the room and said to Carrie, says, why is it that you always have a smile on your face? And she said, every day when I wake up, 
I say myself, today I will love my life. And I thought, what a great way to begin the day. And how, how, it couldn't be any more fitting than anybody outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, 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 those of us who are in Christ should know that just by the relationship we have. To choose today to love our lives because we have this God of, of peace who reigns with him. So acknowledge his presence. Second of all, practice obedience. Israel was taking their sins lightly. They loved the fact that they were God's people, but they were not true in living out the relationship that God had called them to. They didn't take it seriously. And yet none of us can know peace while living on the edge of obedience. And how often we want it both ways. We want peace while staying with gossip. We want peace while also wanting to get even with an enemy or while criticizing our spouse. We want peace while being stingy instead of practicing generosity. We want peace while flirting with sexual sin. The truth is that there is a huge upheaval that has happened because Jesus Christ has been welcomed into our lives. When a large truck drives over a bridge, there is a bridge quake. You have experienced it. You can feel that on a bridge. Some people don't like, I have family members don't like going across bridges because of that shaking. If you've been into the, the St. Louis Arch before, you have experienced that little bit of wave and you think, ah, I don't think I want to do this again. That's just how you feel when you get up there. If you have a large man on thin ice, there's an ice quake that happens. The text out of Psalms this morning talked about the earth quaking. When the earth quakes, the, the plates of the earth are, are shifting. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, there is a life quake. We are shaken and everything changes. Nothing is the same. And we get this great gift, this great gift that comes to us by grace. Yet, at the same time, we are called to a life of obedience. And any view and conviction, any idea, any behavior, any relationship is suddenly experiencing a great shift because of the lordship of Christ. Everything changes. Now, he may change one of those things. He may not. But at the beginning of the relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to say, along with Paul to the Colossians, in everything, he must have the supremacy. And obedience is demand. This is what Israel did not want to be serious about. But the remnant saw the problem. They knew what the issue was. They longed for, a, for wholeness. They longed for this peace for their nation. And yet they knew they were far from it for, because of their lack of obedience. Uh, let's suppose you have a friend who's dying of a rare disease. And so you take him to a doctor. And the doctor says, well, the bad news is uh, you, are, you are in your last stages. But the good news is I have a plan for you. Now, that plan includes you can't eat chocolate anymore. And your friend says, you've got to be kidding. There's no way I can't eat chocolate. And you say to him, are you crazy? You're not willing to stop eating chocolate to be well? And so while our, our perfection in obedience does not earn us the right to heaven, it is only reasonable that if God has, has made a way for us to be healed spiritually, why would we not want to be all that this great physician has called us to be 
so we can be complete. Israel was not willing. And a huge price was paid later, just a few years after Isaiah proclaimed the word of the Lord, when God raised up the Assyrians to come in and take them away captive, and that northern kingdom fell. Why? Because they would not listen to the Lord. Such things happen in lives as well. To know peace, God's rule must preside above all others. Walk in his light. Second of all, study him. Verse 3 says, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Fifteen times in the New Testament, we have this familiar phrase, usually authored by the Apostle Paul, grace and peace. It's what we need. And God's ways are all about those two realities, grace and peace. There's the way of grace. And there's a paradox in the Christian life because Paul says, when he writes to the Corinthian believers, you have been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. We were washed, that's what happened in baptism, we were cleaned up, we were justified. That is, we were declared righteous people when we know our actions and our behavior, our behaviors are not always very righteous. Nevertheless, we're declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. That's being justified. And we were sanctified. That is, we were baptized into Christ. We were washed. We were made holy. And you know and I know how still unholy I often am. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a paradox. Even though we're declared to be those things, we know we're not. But he sees us through the blood of Christ. You know, have... Have you, have you ever heard of uh, the imperfect fruit that uh, Walmart is beginning to sell? I don't think it's in our stores, but in the south, in the southern Walmarts, there are, these, uh, there, there are the, these fruits that they are selling, beginning with apples, that are all marred. And the bags say, I'm perfect. But they have scars on them. They've got bruises on them. They, they, they're perfectly good, perfectly nutritious, but typically when you're buying your produce, you don't want to buy scarred up fruit, right? You look around it, you study it because you want the best looking fruit. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. This is so much like us. Now, Walmart's also has sold spuglies. Are you a spugly? Of course you're a spugly. A spugly is a spud that has the same problems. It's scarred, it's misshaped, it doesn't look so good, it's got wounds in it and that sort of thing. Perfectly good potatoes but they're called spuglies. You and I are spuglies. Remember that in dealing with each other, that we are scarred, we are bruised, we are wounded, uh, yet because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are made beautiful. That's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. So maybe greet each other that way. Hey, fellow spugly, good to see you. The way of peace. Now this peace that we are dealing with uh, I, we've learned before in our previous study, is about shalom. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, is, um, is about wholeness. It's about, uh, it's about a universal flourishing, uh, a delighting, a, 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 a full life where all the pieces are flowing together well. It's where all the parts are are, are moving together and they're independent. Picture, picture threads. You know, there are threads 
Uh, for instance, if you go shop for sheets, what do you do? You look at the thread count, right? Because the, high, the thread count means there's that many vertical and horizontal threads per square inch. So if you buy sheets that have 200, uh, a 200 thread count, there are 200 vertical and horizontal threads in a square inch. But you compare that to a sheet set that has 800 thread count, that's a higher thread count per square inch, and so those sheets are supposed to be softer and better, and they, well, they, they wear better in life, and even they get softer with more wear. And so this shalom is that picture that all these threads of life are woven together so that, so that there's blessing that pours over every part of who we are. That's what shalom is about. It's not just a generic piece, but it is, it is, is a word that, that looks forward to this harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship of everything in our life, that it's all moving, it's all working. It, it is an impact on every part of life. So the call to shalom is not simply about you and me being whole, but it's also what we are in the world, what we care about in the world. Shalom it's about what we desire for this world that is anything but peaceful. It's about moving from this place to the world, and, and whatever your world looks like, and you are a person of peace in that relationship with your neighbor or your work associate or a family member who's far away from the Lord. You care deeply about the troubles and the problems of the world, and you want to be one to, to make a difference because really being people of peace means that the world is made better because we're there. It's not simply about your personal peace that you have. And yet we Americans tend to take scripture and we make it so very personal and it feeds our consumer mentality. But we have to break out when we're a, a true person of peace cares about the situations of the world and, and, and wants to make a difference. For, for instance, there's a problem of illiteracy in our world. We know that. And, and, and if you're a person of peace close to that problem, you want to be one to address that. The, this, the, because the, the problem of, of living in a society that is not harmonious is rooted in people's neglect of God being the person of peace. You see, so for instance, um, you know, the, 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 this problem of illiteracy, just as an example, you go to Tibet or let's go to Calcutta, and how many children have an opportunity born in adverse poverty to be a, a child that's literate? My, any grandchild I have has a three or four hundred times greater chance of being literate than a kid born in Calcutta, right? Because of where we live in the world. And so as Christians, as we move throughout the world, this is what we do. We, we engage people by giving them life that is in better working order in every dimension. That's why, for instance, uh, the, the Irwins in Spain, what do they do? They have camps to teach English. Or, or the Chestnuts in Kosovo have computer labs. You know, why? To build relationships, to make their lives better in those areas, but ultimately to get people to Jesus Christ. That's why we have ministries that we do as well. That's why we get involved with our local ministries like Act of Grace, what we're doing right now. So, 
So you see, to be a person of peace is not simply my personal peace. It's making a difference in the world that I'm called to, to live in for the sake of Christ. Third, represent him. So walk in him, study him, and then represent him. Verse 4 says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not, will, take, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The Council on Foreign Affairs website tells us that right now there are about 30 major conflicts going on in the world. That probably doesn't count all the smaller civil wars between tribes in any number of places in the world or the tribe of your family and maybe some fights that are going on there. It's rather unthinkable to consider that we might live someday in a world of peace where nations no longer train for war, where, where nations are not at risk because there's no ill attitudes toward one another. But God here in this passage transforms objects of war into objects for agriculture and commerce. That's what happens when Christ's peace comes. There's a world scope in view here. Now, I'm not sure we as believers really think that we could ever live in a world of peace. But friends, we can as the gospel of Christ is preached. We have to believe that he transforms even whole nations. His, we are his representatives for such peace in the world. But it starts even now in your own realm with the people you live with, the people you have a hard time dealing with. How could we ever hope for a peace beyond our families and our friendships and our work, wherever we are, if we're not willing to be some kind of tool for peace right in my realm? It's both here and abroad in many ways. The psalmist wrote, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that's, that should be the distinction between us and the rest of the world. Even if you tend to be a gossiper, you are lending yourself to a world that's anything but a world of peace. Now, one way Pete Leonard has done it, he started roasting coffee in his garage. And because uh, he, he loved coffee so much, and it was called the, Ch Ch the Second Chance Coffee Company because he had a family member who had been in prison. And this, the, his family member got out and he get interviews everywhere, but he had to check that little box that when it asked, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And as soon as he checked that box, you know, there was no, no hope for him. And so he put the two together. He started this company, this coffee company. This coffee shop call is called I Have a Bean, and he employs ex-cons. And by training them, he gives them a place to learn work responsibility and work ethic and gives them hope for a better life. It's those types of things that we are called to do in the name of Christ because he is a great God of peace. You see, you can't pray like we often pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven without being serious about being a person of peace. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And if we're not living as a person of peace, then we're not contributing to even Isaiah's picture of what this future reign of peace is like. Today, if you have conflict with anyone, then resolve it. 
Live, live contrary to the system of the world. Live as a kingdom person. God is filling this world with peace, one heart at a time. And those who walk in his light, those who study his ways, those who let go of, of conflict and seek peace, they promote peace. They promote peace. We're not dependent on the stability of this world but on God's presence in all of life, every feature, every feature we're dealing with. We will never more be like God than when we seek peace because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. You want to be like Jesus? Then you be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Make him your peace. Then be an instrument of peace in the world. And that is our prayer, Father, as we leave this place today, that we will indeed be instruments of peace. Forgive us for holding on to grudges, for feeding our wrong spirits, for engaging in conversations that demean others, for adding to conflict by our facial expressions, by our attitudes, condescension. Forgive us, Father, for being so self-consumed that we fail to see our role in the world to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Father, we are children of God and we are not like you with such behavior. So please forgive us. We need your peace in all aspects. I pray for those in this assembly today who are dealing with matters inside that create conflict of the heart and the soul and the mind. Things that keep them awake at night, that wake them, too, to wake them up too early in the morning. I pray, Father, for our community, these communities we come from, and all the struggle, I pray, Father, for peace in our political atmosphere. I pray for peace to come to Afghanistan and to the Middle East. I pray for peace among those this morning, Father, who are barely holding on to life. Father, how much we need and covet the peace that only you can bring. So, Father, as we have sung this morning, let it begin with me. And may God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen.